It's wonderful to be here with you today. We appreciate each and every one who have come to be with us to worship God in spirit and in truth this morning. And if you consider yourself a visitor, we would hope that you would feel as you are, and that is as our honored guest. As always is the case, it is a privilege and an honor to speak concerning the Word of God. And I hope and pray that what we have to consider for a little while this morning would be edifying to you and encouraging to you in some way. I will say, though, also, it's wonderful to see Brother Reuben with us, um, very saddened with the passing of Mary, and uh, our prayers are certainly with and for uh, Reuben and his family at this time. I want to invite your attention to the book of Romans, the 13th chapter, and we want to begin reading there in verse 1. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Paul said, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Okay, the reason for the lesson. I was watching the presidential debate the other day, and I got to thinking about this. There was a question that was asked to each one of the candidates, and it was this. Would you accept the fact if the other person, your opponent, is elected, will you accept that fact and will you support that fact, the other person? And when they asked Hillary Clinton what she would say about that, she immediately said, yes, I would. I would support Donald Trump. When they asked Donald Trump, he kind of hem-hawed around a little bit and he told a few more stories and said a few more things. And then finally, afterwards, as he walked in front of the stage, he was asked in an interview, would you support Hillary Clinton if she was elected president? And then he said, yes, I will. I would support that. Well, the question is, we have a presidential election that's about to happen in our country. The question is, what is God's dealings with all of that? How does God look upon that election? And what's God's dealings with? What's God's role in all of that? Well, let me just simply say this. Please get this. This is by way of encouragement. Whoever is elected president of the United States, remember this. God is thoroughly in control. Thoroughly in control. And number two, God's people will be just fine. I want to say this before we begin. And in my introduction, in no way was I trying to promote a political candidate. I am not interested in that. In fact, I think when denominations use the forum of the pulpit to promote politics, I think that's wrong. I think it's inappropriate to do so. I'm not doing that today. In fact, when I made the, the statement about the question that was asked to each presidential candidate, would you accept the other? Would you submit to the authority of the other if they were elected? The question before us is, will you? Will I? Will we accept the candidate that's chosen and submit to them? In fact, the Apostle Paul in our passage is going to give 
seven different compelling reasons why we should submit to the governing authorities that are over us. In fact, we're just going to use Romans 13, 1 through 5 as the outline for our study today. Keeping that in mind, going back to verse number 1 in our text, the Bible says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, that is an unqualified statement. In other words, it doesn't qualify who the governing authorities are, and it doesn't qualify what subjection might mean. And if that's the case, then we must conclude, we must say we have an unqualified, unmitigated command to be subjected to the governing authorities that are over us, whoever they are and whatever they are. Now, that's Paul's writing here in Romans 13. Peter dealt with this in a similar fashion in 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to this. This is talking about Peter giving instruction when living among the world. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, what I'm saying is this. Both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter make it clear. Our responsibility is to submit to the governing authorities that are over us. And as I said a moment ago, there are actually seven motivations for doing just that. Seven reasons by following what God has given us. Notice, first of all, number one. Number one, government is by divine decree. It is by divine decree. In verse 1 again, it says, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that be, notice, are appointed by God. Now, what did that just say? It says there's no authority except by God. And the authorities that be, they all are appointed by God. Now, Authorities that exist, whoever they are, are established by God. I'm talking about civil authority. I'm talking about governmental authority, and it all comes from God. Now, there's two other institutions that God gave man. This is great. For the well-being of man, number one is marriage. That's an institution that was ordained or appointed by God for the benefit of man. What else? The church the church is for the spiritual well-being of man. Notice how it works. Government is for man's public well-being. Marriage is for man's personal well-being. And the church is for man's spiritual well-being. And all of these come from God, and they are given to man for man's well-being. Now... When it says there's no authority except from God and power belongs to God, that's exactly what Jesus meant in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, before Jesus gave the Great Commission, verse 18, he said, All power or all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Who gave Jesus that authority? 
the only one who had it, and that was God. Psalm 62 and 11, listen to this. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. All right, we get that. We understand that. The question is, does God care or does God have anything to do with our country? Does God have anything to do with all the other countries in the world? Well, notice, yes, he does. In fact, the Bible would say that God actually determines the times of nations. And by the way, when I say the times of nations, I'm talking about the beginning of nations and the end of nations. Don't ever be confused as to think that God is in his heaven somewhere and this world is just existing as it wants to and God has no dealings with it at all. All the countries in the world are subjected to God. Not only that, he determines when they begin and he determines how they end. Let me put some scriptures to that. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, the Bible says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. <clears throat> Doesn't that sound to you like God's in control? We've got all this stuff going on in the world. We've got all these things that happen in various countries. And yet God is totally in control and God determines their beginning. He determines their dwelling, and he, he determines the ending of them and their boundaries, too. All right. Well, what about this? What about this? Does God have anything to do with who's going to become president of the United States? That's the question. Does God have anything to do with that? In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, watch this. The decision is by the, by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know, get this, that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. That tells me that the most high, and by the way, that's God. He is the most high. There is no one higher than God. He rules and reigns in the kingdom of men. What else does he do? He gives the kingdoms to whoever he wants to. And what else? He sits over it the lowest of men. I've heard people say, you know, there's no way that God has any dealings with politics if he would put that man in office. And sets the lowest of men over it. More on that in a minute. First of all, I have to say this, though. The Bible does not give a theory of government. The Bible does not uphold one form of government over another. Like a monarchy, for example, that ruled in Europe for centuries. In fact, the Bible does not uphold a democracy. You can't find a democratic social civil structure in all the Bible. We're talking about governments in general. Now... I have to tell you something about me, okay? And first of all, I understand God's not an American. God is not an American, okay? But I will tell you this. I'm a patriotic person, and I love our country. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I love our country. In fact, I love our country so much that if it wasn't for preaching the gospel outside of this country, I would have no desire to even leave it at all. I love the country we live in. 
I still believe it's the greatest country in the world. But don't make the mistake into thinking that God is for our country and God is against all other countries. He is not. In fact, God's not an American. God is a spirit, John chapter 4. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So is there anything wrong with being a, a, a patriotic type of person? Absolutely not. And you know what? When your kids go to school, there's nothing wrong with them doing this flag salute. And the Pledge of Allegiance, nothing wrong with that at all. There's also nothing wrong with standing there in respect as you look to the flag of the United States of America and during the National Anthem. And i got to tell you, this nonsense is going on in sports today with these disrespectful people that are taking a knee or even heard this laying down during the National Anthem as some a platform that they're trying to sell. I think it's ridiculous. And I'll tell you this, I have not fought for my country. I'm, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I don't go to battle. I don't fight in wars. I preach the word of God. But I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't mean that I'm not thankful and grateful for the men who have died to buy my freedom. I'm going to tell you that right now. If people don't like our country, folks, it's real easy. All you got to do is just get your passport and leave. I think it's the greatest country in the world. I just want to make that point. But God does not feel better about America than he does about another country. God is not American. So however the rulers come to power, however that is, whether by dynastic descent inherited or by aristocratic family connection, or a democratic election. There is no governing power that is outside of the purpose of God. And God has given authority to the authorities that exist. So somebody might say, well, what about the, what about the bad guys? What about the cruel guys? You know, the cruel ones are not a reflection of God's goodness or nature. If somebody abuses the, the position that they're in, it doesn't mean it's a reflection on God. I'll give you a little example. Remember when I said God gave two other things for society, for, for man, for man's benefit? One is marriage, and the other is the church. Okay? Divorce tears marriage apart, but that's not a reflection on God's nature. Apostasy and worldliness tears the church up. But that's not a reflection on God's nature. And abuses in government tear up nations. But that doesn't mean that God, that's a reflection on God's nature. Not at all. Abuses do not in any sense diminish the truth that these institutions are ordained of God. I read one scholar and this is what he said about wicked rulers. Let this soak in for a second. Wicked rulers are part of God's plan to punish wicked nations and to allow evil to run its course toward destruction. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? Remember when the prophet Habakkuk was praying to God and calling out to God, how long am I going to call out to you? You're not going to hear me. What did God do? He raised up a terrible people, the Chaldeans, to punish them. And then what did he do? He destroyed the Chaldeans. And somebody might say, well, how, why is that possible? Why did he do that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. The Bible says that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts and our thoughts and his ways and our ways. You just submit to that and that's enough. Amen. 
and that's good enough. Now, why do we have, back to the seven motivations, why do we have governmental structure? Why do we have that? Well, really, we have it. The reasons are the purpose is twofold. Number one, it was for the repression of evil. And number two, it was for the rewarding of good and virtue. Those two reasons. Now, it was never to be ordained by the opinions of the governed or the will of the majority. I'm talking about the structure. God ordained the structure. That's what I'm talking about. It was always for the repression of evil, and it was for the rewarding of virtue and good. It was not ordained, it was ordained of God, it was not ordained by the opinions of the governed, nor the will of the majority. Now, what about wicked rulers? What about wicked forms of government? What about wicked men that, that take office? Let me just simply say that they accomplish the purpose of God too. Remember Pharaoh? Remember Pharaoh? God didn't make him bad, but when he wouldn't repent, he turned him over to a hard heart. In fact, the Bible says he used him to declare his power in all Egypt and Israel as well. Romans chapter 9, listen to this. Romans 9 and 17. For the scripture says of Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared on all the earth. Even wicked rulers declare the purpose of God. So what's the first reason or motivation that we have to submit to the governmental authorities that are over us? Well, number one, it's by divine decree. It's appointed by God. There are no authorities that exist except that which is ordained of God. That being the case, that brings us to number two. If you resist the authority, you rebel against God. If you resist the authority, you rebel against God. Going to verse 2 of, of Romans chapter 13. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. You know the word ordinance is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word diatage, and it means institution or establishment of God. In other words, these governmental authorities are the ordinance or establishment of God. All right. One scholar wrote in the 1800s, listen to this, about our thoughts about that and resistance and all of that. He wrote this in the 1800s. He said this, and I quote, The people of God should consider resistance to the government under which they live as very awful and even an awful crime, even as resistance to God himself. And somebody might say, no, wait a minute. I just don't like what's going on in our country. You think God does? I'm sure God's not happy either. But we still submit. And by the way, I'm just saying passing so I'm not misunderstood. We submit until the laws of the land tell us we cannot worship God. Then we obey God and we resist the authorities that are over us. Whenever the commands of the authority contradict what God has instructed us to do, then we do what the Bible says. I appreciated Darren so much about his prayer. And he talked about those that are over us 
and those that are in governing authoritative roles over us that they would not enact any laws that would keep us from worshiping God. We don't do that very much anymore. We don't pray that a whole lot. We need to pray that. Now let's just back up for a second, though, about resisting authority. Do you know what resist means? Watch this. It literally means, by definition, to arrange yourself with the opposition, to permanently line up against God. In other words, if I resist the authority that is over me, guess what I'm doing? I am lining myself up with the opposition against God. And the only time I'm ever allowed to do that is when man's laws contradict God's laws. Then I stand with God. All right, what should our attitude be even if we don't like the president? I got to tell you something just in passing. You probably heard me say it, so I'm just going to admit that I said it. Maybe so I'm not reminded of it later. But I said, yes, I did. If Hillary Clinton's elected president, it can only mean that God's really mad at us. I said that. The question is, What's my attitude going to be if she is elected? And I, this is not a political platform. What's my attitude for the current president? What's my attitude for any past president or future president? What's the Bible say about that? Exodus 22 and 28. Watch this. Watch this. Be careful what you say. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of his people. That means i got to watch my tongue about what I say about those that are in positions of authority, those that become president. i got to watch that. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The current president we have, he doesn't need people bad-mouthing him. What he needs is he needs God's people praying for him. There's a greater need for, for prayer right now and going into this election. There's a greater need for prayer from God's people than ever before. Not being critical and bad-mouthing. Pray for them. And I'll tell you something right now, too. I'll tell you. I'm not concerned a bit. In a few days, I'm going to be 50. And you know what? In my life, I've never missed a meal. I've always had a home. I've got a wonderful wife and children, great family. I'm a member of the Lord's church. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm living my dream of being a preacher. My bills get paid somehow. They get paid always. And I guarantee you this. If it is the Lord's will, tomorrow I'm going to open my eyes and there'll be sunshine and I'm going to live tomorrow. The question is, though, instead of worrying about the future, instead of worrying about what the future holds, then just remember who holds the future. I'm not concerned about politics at all. Why? God's got that taken care of. I'm just going to do what he said. I'm going to preach the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. And live our life. 
Now, you know, God has always, though, been against resistance to authority. In fact, even with children. You know, as a coach, I've said this in the past, but as a coach, you can tell how a child was raised based upon how they are and act with me as a coach. You can tell. You can tell if a child was raised under the proper authoritative structure in the home or not. But does God care about how we submit ourselves to authority? Absolutely. And it goes all the way back to the home when the kids are little. Under the old law, you know what happened when a child was disrespectful and disobedient and did not submit to the authority of their parents? There wasn't a timeout. They didn't stand in a corner and they didn't get a spanking. You know what they got? They were taken outside the camp and they were stoned to death. You think God cares about how we submit to the authority that's over us? I think he cares. And if a child will not submit to the authority of his parents, he's not going to submit to the authority of his teachers, he's not going to submit to the authority of the laws of the land, and he's not going to submit to the authority of God. But again, if the law says we can't worship, you know what we're going to do? We're going to break the law. We're going to break the law. We're going to go to jail. That's why we have to pray that the rulers that are over us will never make that law. They don't need us to badmouth them, folks. They need prayer. They need God's help. Thirdly, here's another reason, too. Another motivation. If you resist the authority, then you are punished. Verse 2 again. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. In other words, the consequence of rebellion is judgment. That word judgment is an interesting word. It's the word, the Greek word, krima. And by the way, that is a word that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 29. When Paul was dealing with the communion, the Lord's Supper, and he said... He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, he eats and drinks judgment to himself. That case, we're talking about God's judgment. But here's the motivating factor to submit to the authority of the land. If we don't and we resist, we are punished by that authority. By that authority. Now, God gave him that power and that authority. Under the old law, we find that there was always a punishment and a penalty that ran hand in hand with the crime. For example, under the old law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Or equal punishment for the crime. Now, somebody might say, well, why was the punishment? Why, did they, why were they punished? What purpose did that serve? Watch this. They did five things. Punishment did five things, and here they are. Number one, it declared what was right. Number two, it acted as a deterrent. You know why? Because under the old law, you didn't get the dream team to get you off. Under the old law, the punishment was swift and it was immediate. Number three, it was used or the idea of punishment was to restrain evil. It was also a means of rehabilitation. And also to prevent private vengeance. That's the punishment for doing something wrong. I don't understand today why people say, yeah, you did all that, but it's not your fault. Why not just say it is my fault and I'm going to make it right and fix it? Why not? 
We have an entire society saying, yes, you are all this, but you had a lousy upbringing. It's your parents' fault or somebody else. I don't get that. It's a means of, and it always was under the old law, a means of rehabilitation. In other words, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get better. I'm going to make better choices. That's the reason for the punishment. So, that's another motivation, though. If you resist, then you're punished by the authority that God has given. In fact, under the Old Testament, there was no Jewish prisons at all. The prison system did not exist under the law of Moses. The Gentiles had prisons, and you remember Paul was in a number of them. They were part of the Roman social order. Going back to early Americans, also, or early American, prisons did not exist either. The form of punishment was physical punishment followed by restitution. Now, that's pretty good. Direct and immediate. They had places that they called the jail cell, but really all that was was a place to hold them over until they could do one of two things. They could either be corporally punished physically or, and or, they could have a, a way to work and, and make amends or make restitution. God has always wanted man to make restitution for the things in which we do that are not right. To make it right. The prison systems in early America didn't exist either. In fact, the Quakers changed all of that when they introduced prisons in Pennsylvania. In fact, the first prison in America was called the Wall Street Jail. And by the year 1790, the law established imprisonment. You know what they called it? Penitentiaries. You know why they called it penitentiaries? Because they felt like if you were there, you would become penitent. Sorry for your actions. I don't know how that's worked. But I'll just say this. The last statistic I heard is this. That we in our country punish 25 out of 500 people that commit a serious crime. You've heard me say this over the years. Like in Singapore, they have an immediate death penalty or life sentences for crimes that happen in Singapore. Guess what? That particular crime is non-existent. You know why? Because crime is not deterred by the severity of the punishment. Crime is deterred by the surety of it. If I know that if I commit this crime, there's no way I'm getting out of it, I'm busted, I'm not going to do the crime. You know what people do, though? They take the chance because there's always a loophole. And yes, 25 out of 500 that commit a serious crime today are punished. In these prisons, there's also no way of restitution. In the Old Testament, Exodus 21 and 22, when someone took from another, they had to make restitution. Remember the tax collector? Remember Zacchaeus, the little guy that got up in the sycamore tree to see the king? Remember him? You know what he said? Jesus, Jesus said, salvation has come to thy house. Zacchaeus said, if I have taken anything from anyone, I restore him fourfold. Restitution. Restitution. God ordains governments to punish, but also to provide a path of restitution. As someone who violates these governmental laws, God has given such governments the authority to judge and punish them. But next, there's another reason why we have these and why we should submit to them. Is government serves to restrain evil. 
in verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now, this is connected closely to the last verse, obviously, but I want to make a point. When I go to the, to the airport, I don't care if they take my briefcase. I don't care if they search through my belongings. I don't care if they take off my shoes and take my belt. I don't care if they make me randomly stand over there and get patted down. You know why? I'm not guilty of anything. I don't have a problem with somebody frisking me. It's not unconstitutional for me. I don't care. You know why? I'm not guilty of anything. The only reason that you are scared is when you're guilty. Rulers are not a terror, Paul said, to good works but to evil. Now, this word terror, it's the word phobos, and it means to terrify. So in other words, don't worry about the rulers if you're doing the right things. It's only going to terrify someone who is guilty. And by the way, the word phobos there to terrify, it's where we get the word phobia or fear. Rulers are not to terrify us. They, terror, they are a terror to those that are evil. Government serves, serves to restrain evil. So we have nothing to fear. All we need to do is obey and submit to those authorities. And we have absolutely nothing to fear at all. Okay, question though. Yeah, I understand that and we're Christians and we know what's right and wrong and all that. But what about non-Christians? What about non-Christians? Is the law really that universal that everybody knows what's good and what's evil? Okay, in a general sense, yes. Yes. Even if you know nothing about the Bible, Romans chapter 2, let me give you a passage that supports that. Romans 2, beginning in verse 14. Listen to this. For the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. Now, I heard somebody on the radio say this, and this is not true. That everybody is created depraved and bad. That is not true. In fact, I think people understand, little kids understand, it's wrong to take from someone else. It's wrong to hurt someone else or injure someone else. People in life, as they grow in life, are influenced by the surroundings that are around them. But it's not innate inside them to be rotten. It isn't. That which God creates is good. And that's why little precious children that die before they ever reach the age of accountability are going straight to heaven. You know why? There's no rotten in that kid. There's no rotten in that child. Rotten comes from the outside. And when they get older and they act upon it, that's what becomes rotten. So it restrains evil. That's what it's for. But here's a positive one. Here's a positive side. And that's number five. Government serves to promote good. Verse 3, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise of the same. 
The first part of verse 4, for he is God's minister to you for good. Who is God's minister? God's minister is the one that's in authority. So God's minister, the one that's in authority, has the ability to take care of all the negative stuff, but it's also for the good. You'll have praise of the same, it says, if you do that which is good. Don't be afraid. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, and get this, here it is again, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. If you want to know what to say to God, say that to God. Pray that to God about the rulers that be and are in existence over us. Government's primary role is to restrain evil. That's basically a given. But the positive one is this, promotes good. In fact, the word good there is the word agathon. And it means to be intrinsically good. In other words, good for your own sake. Good for your own sake. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verses 14 and 15. When one does good, he silences even his critics. Verse 15 of 1 Peter 2 says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of of foolish men. I'm going to tell you something. If you're a Christian and you stand out, somebody is going to criticize or make fun of you. It's what it is. That's okay. Just keep doing that which is good. And you'll have praise of the same of the authority. That's number one. And number two, guess what? You will put a stop to or silence, muzzle the critics. It's the life that we live. And by the way, let me just say this in passing. That's how far the Muslim world has gone from God. Obviously, they have an agenda that's to terrorize the entire world, disrupt and, disrupt and destroy. And we know that that doesn't come from God. That comes from the devil. That comes from Satan. So yes, there is bad things in the world. But here's another one. There's another motivation for submitting to the governmental authority that is over us, and that is that rulers have the power to inflict severe punishment. In verse 4, back to our text, but if you do, if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, what does the sword mean? The word sword is defined from a word that means the instrument that brings about death. You know, about five years ago or so, when I studied this passage, I tried to make this mean anything in the world but what it is. I tried to make this mean something other than what it is. In other words, the one that's in the governmental authority, the one that's in that authority, guess what? God gave him what? even gave him the, the authority of the sword. In fact, it says he doesn't bear the sword in vain. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about the death penalty. Now, i got to say this. I have to say this. Christians can't take lives. We cannot. We don't take lives. We're not allowed to. But that doesn't mean that God has not given authority to someone to do so when their crime 
proves that that's what it should be. This is not just a symbol. This is not just a phrase in passing. This is talking about capital punishment. Even back in Genesis chapter 9, the Bible says, Whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. In other words, the death penalty for taking a life. Now the question is this. It's all that, here's really simple, a simple way to look at this. The only thing that matters is ask yourself, who bears the sword? Can Frank, Frank, Frank Cottle bear the sword? Nope, cannot. <coughs> Can't. But he is the governmental structure or the authoritative role of someone in our country. They don't bear the sword in vain. And by the way, I gotta say, haven't you found in your life that the majority of people that oppose the death penalty are the same people that support abortion? Makes no sense to me. We don't want to take someone's life that brutally mass murdered people, but we want to take the life of an innocent baby. Interesting, isn't it? I'm so glad that God's taken care of all of that. But finally, finally, here's another reason too. We obey for conscience sake. In verse five, therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience sake. You know, at the end of the day, why do we obey God? We obey God because God said so. Why do we obey the laws of the land? Because God said so. But he, there is a secondary benefit. If the secondary benefit is we're going to have a clear conscience, nothing to worry about. We don't have to worry about that at all. In fact, if a policeman shows up, I'm not guilty. How you doing? Talk to him. You don't care. You got a clear conscience. Haven't you ever been in that situation? We've all been in that situation when you're guilty of something, maybe as a kid, as a child, and you're guilty of something. But if you have a clear conscience, you got no worries. You got nothing to hide. And your life is an open book. In conclusion today, so the benefit of doing right is a clear conscience, but in conclusion, why do we obey the authorities that are over us? Here they are. Number one, they're appointed by God. And because of that, to resist the authority that's over us is to rebel against God. And we show that what that means is you literally are lining yourself at opposition to God. Also, another reason is when we resist, we're punished by the authority that's over us. Number four, government serves to restrain evil. Number five, government serves to promote good. Number six, rulers have the power to inflict severe punishment, even the death penalty. Got to obey. And finally, we obey for conscience sake. Now, I'll tell you, all that being said, I don't know who's going to be the president, the next president. I don't know. I don't know. But let me just say this to you, please. Whoever it is, don't badmouth the president. Pray for the president. Number two, pray that no laws will ever be enacted that would keep us from serving God the way the Bible says we must serve him. Number three, understand beyond a shadow of a doubt. Understand that God is totally in control. And number four, understand this. All that being said, God's people will be just fine.
we're going to be fine. So when people go, oh, it's going to, no, it's not. Oh, it's going to, no, it's not. No, it's not. We're going to be just fine. We never know the hearts and minds of those that are present. Maybe you're here today and you're not a child of God. We never know the hearts and minds of those that are with us. So we want to extend now an invitation to someone that might be subject to the gospel call. If you're not a Christian and come believing in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess his name as the son of God, and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Be added to the body of Christ. Have your sins washed away. Be a member of the Lord's church today. Maybe you've taken those steps, but you've erred straight away, something of a public nature. That be the case, then repent of those things, confess those things, and we'll pray with you and for you, and God will forgive and restore. If you want to be the class, come forward while we stand and while we sing.